Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good, good to be at this again. Um, we're going into our teaching series tonight. Uh, I just want to take just a couple of minutes, suppose, just to try and link back to what we did last week as tonight almost follows on from it. We've been on, uh, as part of 166, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, looking about Jesus' teaching, Jesus has brought this crowd to the mountain. And you know the main thing that Jesus, the main thrust of what he's been speaking about is this message, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is the main thing Jesus wants us to understand. And we've been saying this time and time again, the whole thrust of this is the kingdom is for everyone. It's available for anyone, for each person in the room right now. If you've never been in or began this relationship with Jesus, I want to say this tonight, the kingdom of heaven is for you. You can experience it. Maybe you have already experienced something of it tonight yourself, but it's for you. And Jesus was really trying to get out as well. You know, we said this last week too, is, is that while he's teaching about that, the main thing he was trying to say to his disciples was, this is how to position your life. Here's the way to posture yourself so that you can experience it because the kingdom of heaven is to be experienced in our lives. Not just in moments like when we come to church, not just in those high mountaintop moments or those moments when you just get alone with God, but the kingdom of heaven is available for us. Here's the thing. It's available for us every single second of every day. It is there for us. This is the Father's heart and the Father's desire that you can and you will engage with it because it's available. This is the good news. Of Jesus. And so what we looked at last week, there's, there's much of the teaching we've looked at before. Jesus in chapter 6, he starts to teach about some of the spiritual disciplines we embed in our lives. But what he started to look at last week was around this idea about how he is Lord. One of the things that means that we get to experience the kingdom of heaven and get to experience life in the fullness is by following the ways of Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're Lord. And because you're Lord, I'm going to follow your ways and all of your ways. I'm going to go after his Lord. But one of the things particularly he was teaching into was around this area of money possessions, that awful thing that sometimes can trap many of us and can be an issue in many people's lives. Jesus was saying this for those people who would say that he is Lord and people who would say they want to follow his kingdom. He was saying, you just cannot, you cannot do this. You cannot be someone who stores up treasure. Again, we were saying that this isn't about having things, but this is what that means. The accumulation of things as a focus of joy. Jesus was saying that the these things were temporal, things like money, these things that we give our yes to and we give, try to get joy and satisfaction, and these things are only temporary. These things will not last. It is the things that are in heaven, the things that are of, of heaven that are the things that will be eternal and long-lasting. So here's, here's the main thing that Jesus was trying to get at, and we said this in the Lord's Prayer. One of the phrases that Jesus uses time, or not time and time again, he uses it once in the prayer, but it's the thrust of what he's bringing into this message is this line, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven, there is a kingdom of heaven that Jesus declared is on earth for us to experience right now, but we will experience the kingdom fully when we stand one day with Jesus in heaven in eternity that is to come. But here's what Jesus is saying, on earth, as it is in heaven, all the things that we will experience and live into in the kingdom of heaven that is yet to come, these are the things that we should be living into to experience right now in the kingdom right now in our lives. So in the kingdom that is yet to come, this is a kingdom that we will live freely, we will live fully alive because the focus of our hearts and the joy of our hearts will be Jesus. 
And so right here on earth, right now, this is the heart desire of God, that we would be a people, imagine this in your life, that you could be a person that would live freely and fully. Imagine that, where you're just fully satisfied in every way. And the way that we live into that was when the joy of our hearts and the desire of our hearts, which we're going to press into a lot more tonight, is Jesus. This is what we go after. And so really the word that we tried to look at last week when it came to this area of money, uh, the word that really tried to sum up all that we were trying to say was this, simplify. Jesus is saying this to his disciples that he was teaching up that mountain, but he's saying this to you as his disciples sitting here right now in Lurgan on this night, listening to these words. This is what Jesus would say. If you want to start living more fully into all that the kingdom has for you, one of the things that you need to start doing and practicing in your life is to start building in this principle of living simply. Jesus was trying to get his disciples to get this. How can we live our lives where we go with less so that others can go with more? This is the whole thrust of the kingdom that we are looking out for other people. So you know in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches this, this line. He says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So part of the homework I gave you last week to do, the old school teacher in me, was this. I said, whether this is on your own or in families or as couples, to have this conversation and to be asking this question, what is it that I actually need to survive? When we pray that line, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's God, would you give me today what I need? Because here's the truth, that everything else over and above that is up for grabs. Everything else over and above that is what God wants to use to be able to bless other people and to bring blessing to our own life as well. And so the, the children of Israel knew this. We looked at this last week. The children of Israel realized they were taught with this. Everything that they had had already come from the Lord. And so it wasn't theirs to hold tightly onto, but it was, it was God's. God had entrusted it to them so that they could bless other people in that way. And living simply, we just simply said this, it frees us. It frees us to see what is really important and frees us to focus more on the kingdom of God. So this is something for you to start to ask yourself, how can you live simply? What does that look like for you? Tonight, what we want to look at is the reality of this. Well, this is something that God would want us to do. Truthfully, many of us in the room probably don't do it. Probably when I started to say that last week, and even as I was writing the words and trying to think about the application of it to my own life, there's so many reasons and justifications to start to come into your head about why you cannot do it. I call it, for me, an excuse. I'm starting to make my excuses. I'm starting to give my reasoning to God, and I start to ask different questions. And so what we look at tonight, Jesus starts to press into this. This is where Jesus starts to go now and starts to start to look at what is it that starts to rise within us and about what he would speak into. So tonight we're in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25 through to the end. It's going to be on the screens again and we can follow along with us as we go through it. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor rape nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, last week, as we started to talk about this, started to say, if you want to experience more of the kingdom and you want more of the kingdom to come alive in you and through you, then start to question how you can live more simply. Start to be asking questions like, what can you do without so other people can go with more? And, and for some people, what that starts to produce, and one of the barriers that stops us from living into this is what Jesus starts to press into in these verses is the reality that for many of us in the room, this starts to produce something that almost feels like anxiety or worry. We start to try and work out in our heads, how can I actually do that. It's just like because the first thing that comes in our head was, well, what about me? Oh, that money's mine. What, what, what about me? How am I going to look after myself if I give it all away or if I give it to such and such? What, what, what about my needs? What, what about my clothes? These are some of the things Jesus told me. What about the food that I need to eat and my family need to eat? And all these sorts of anxieties or worries or thoughts start to come into our head. When it comes to materials and possessions, Jesus is referencing that these can be things that cause anxiety. But here's the thing Jesus is really clear on. In fact, three times he says this. He says, do not, like you cannot, you cannot be anxious about these things. Don't worry. Don't be, wor- don't be worrying about these things. Jesus is saying if you are part of the kingdom and you're trying to live as part of the kingdom, trying to experience the kingdom, then don't worry about these things. It almost seems like a throwaway statement. That's one of those ones that when you read it, you're just like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's easier said than done. One of those ones that as you read it. But Jesus here, what he's trying to teach is not how to live careless with money, but he's trying to teach us how to live carefree when it comes to these things. This, what I'm about to go on to talk about and about to say, it's not a scientific or medical approach to dealing with anxiety. And the first thing I want to say tonight is that if you're in the room and you're struggling badly with anxiety, it's almost like it's one of your, your daily dispositions is that you just live in the state of angst. There's, there's fear and there's worry that just constantly and lots of decisions and things as you think ahead is just part of your being. One of the things I would really love to encourage you to do tonight is to speak to someone about it. We, we have a prayer ministry team at the back. If I would love you to not leave tonight without speaking to some of us. I'm here at the end as well to be able to speak to. But this is the reason why God has made us to be part of and created us to be in relationship with people so we can help one another, that we can offload some of our concerns. And you know what, as well, there's some people who are trained in this area to be able to journey this with you. It's why, as part of our church, we have a counseling service. I would just love tonight, I would love that tonight could be a moment of walk, walk away from some of these things, a journey, a beginning of a journey away from some of these feelings that has caught many of you and trapped many of you for many years perhaps, that this could be a night where you make a decision to say, I am starting to journey away from this. I want to journey away from this and journey more fully into all that God has for me and his kingdom has for me because you realize that this is one of the things that can stop you from living more fully into all that God has. And wouldn't you want to experience all that God has for you in your life? 
all of us would. And so I'd love to encourage you at our connections point down at the back. We have little color cards about all our different ministries, but there's one there that's for counseling. And I'd love to encourage you, if that is something you would love to begin to, uh, to journey into, just to get one of the cards at the end. What I believe Jesus is teaching here is uh, we're going to look about, it is a little bit about journeying away from anxiety, but I believe what Jesus is saying here is that he's teaching us how to avoid it even in the first place how to avoid having these anxious thoughts. The word for worry, which is used here six times, is this Greek word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. There it is. Um, and this is what it means. It means internal disturbance at the emotional and psychological level that disrupts life. This is what anxiety starts to do. It starts to disrupt your life. It's almost like what you would normally be thinking, your normal thought process, it starts to disrupt it. It's almost like a car crash that's coming in. It just starts to, to bring so many different fears and worries that come along with this. Someone else has described it as this, an anxious endeavor to secure one's needs. And in this passage, the, the word, this Greek word that's on the screen, it's also connected to fear. Jesus connects it to fear. And he also connects it in verse 30. He talks about when there, there's this idea, he says, oh, you have little faith as well. One of the, one of the biblical examples of a story of this, so the story of Mary and Martha as Jesus goes to visit them. And uh, Mary, all she wants to do is she just wants to be with Jesus. She wants to be in his presence. She wants to go and sit at his feet. And Martha, she's getting all worked up. She's just like, what on earth are you doing? We need to go and make food for him. And she's starting to get really disturbed in her being. And this Greek word, it's used in that passage. It's used in that reference. But there's another Greek word that's used alongside it. And I can't pronounce it either. But here's it on the screen. And the, what it also means is this agitation, disorder, disturbance. This is what anxiety and worry brings to us. It almost is like it starts to raise this agitation. Again, last week, when I'm saying about what can you live without, perhaps that very question starts to just raise a sense of agitation within you. There's almost like there's a disturbance because you wouldn't normally be thinking that way because you're so set and secure, maybe with your possessions and your material things. And yet what this whole thing, all it starts to do and generate in your life, anxiety and worry, is that ultimately what it produces is a lack of Peace. The devil, more than anything, does not want you to experience peace. This is one of the things that Jesus gives. He says this in John 14, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. This is what Jesus gives. It's what the kingdom brings. If you are living a life that is following the kingdom of God, this is what it gives. It's what it produces. It's peace and the enemy does not want you to live into that. This is what anxiety brings. One of the ancient rabbis called Hillel, he taught this. He says, the more property, the more care. This is one of the lines that he used. And it seems to be for many of us, if this is a pattern. The more and more and more some people accumulate, the more their minds are focused or become anxious on what will happen to that stuff that they've actually accumulated all their wealth. Part of their thought pattern goes to how can I get more of it? And it just leads to this vicious cycle. It consumes their minds. I've seen so many people, some of my friends, just totally taken by this. And it almost becomes like an idol. But yet on the other side, there are some people who maybe have, are not rich, people who don't have much. But the very reason why they have an anxiety or a worry that's built up in their life is because of the narrative that exists in our culture. And this is what our culture and society will tell you. They will say, if you want to be happy, if you want to have a sense of joy and satisfaction in life, then you need to get rich. 
You need to have possessions. You need to hold on to stuff and look after you because you're number one. This is the sort of stuff. And then what happens is when some people don't have those things, they think, oh, well, that's the thing that gives you happiness in life because that's what society tells us. And yet the kingdom that Jesus comes to declare and the kingdom that Jesus comes to minister and release into people's lives suddenly brings a joy and a happiness that is not of this world. Peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Jesus brings something that is long-lasting. This is what has to be and is here for us tonight, even in this night where we're going to be praying for one another at the end. This is what God has. But this is why this is why this can be caused. And this, this is the very cause, not even just to do with money and possessions, right? We're going to focus on that just in a little while. But even just the very cause of anxiety. Here's what it's here's the whole root of it. And it's due to the focus of your mind. It's due to the focus of your thoughts. Generally, when, when it comes to issues with anxiety, much of it's caused by fear or worry about the future. It's fear or worry about the unknown, about, about what lies ahead, it's stuff that's out of people's control. Depression is where your mind is caught and trapped in things from the past and you can't move past it. Anxiety is the fear of the unknown and the future. From a counselling point of view, I'm not a counsellor, my wife is, and, uh, and they would say this as they, as they sit and they work with people who are caught in anxiety, what they're trying to get them to do is they're trying to get them not to disengage from their thoughts, but they're trying to get them to redirect their thoughts away from things that are in the future, things that are, in the, things that are out of their control, things that are unknown, and they try to get them to position it right now in this now moment because this is the thing that we sit in that is certain. In this present moment, you're certain of what you're experiencing right now. What lies ahead is so unknown. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And so this is the very thing that you get them to do in this, in this moment. They get them to try to engage with their senses. And so Laura would say that sometimes they get people to sit and say five things they can see or four things they can hear, whatever it might be. They're trying to get them to engage with their minds in this now moment. And yet, this, in very essence, is what Jesus is doing in this passage. So as we come to this, this is the word that Jesus says at the very end of the passage that we looked at, Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be, don't be anxious or thinking about what is yet to come. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus said, don't focus on what is unknown. Focus on the now. And in this now moment, what Jesus gets him to do is, Jesus almost like what Laura said they would do sometimes in the council, and Jesus gets him to engage in the things that they can actually see. So he gets the disciples as they're up the mountain, these people that are full of maybe worries and full of concerns, and he gets them to look, and he says, look, do you see the birds? Do you see the birds of the air? And the, and the disciples, they're looking at this. They see the birds. They can probably hear them as well. And Jesus says, these birds, they, they, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, but yet your, your father feeds them. And he says, do you, do, you see, do you see those flowers over there, the lilies? He says, do you see how beautiful they look? He says, even, even Solomon, I think the disciples that see them, they can probably smell them as well. He says, he, even, even Solomon in all his wisdom, he wasn't dressed like this. He says, the grass, look at the very grass. He's getting them to engage. Their minds aren't focused on the future. He says, look at the very grass. He says, this is the life today. It's thrown into the oven tomorrow. He says, but your father, your father clothed it. And Jesus says this. He said, well, again, we'll press into this a little bit more in a second. But Jesus says this. But you are even more important than this. You're even more important than the birds. You're even more important than the flowers that you see. 
Jesus is speaking to someone who practiced the simple living. He was an itinerant minister of the kingdom of God. He went from place to place. You know, I said this last week, he lived simply. He had food that he farmed, he fished, or was given to him. But Jesus, as he, as he calls the disciples to look at what God has provided, what he is doing, he's leading them to practice one of the most significant tools that we can use, one of the most significant weapons when it comes to this area of anxiety or worry in our lives. If you're caught on it tonight, and even when it comes to this area of money or your possessions, because that's ultimately where we're going to round this up again, because this is where Jesus is teaching into. If you are having anxiety, here's the two, because remember this, our, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. The enemy wants to steal from your life. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to destroy the peace of God in your life. He wants to destroy what God is doing in your life. Your enemy, the enemy wants to just ravage you with anxiety. The enemy wants to ravage you with fear. He wants that to be in your life because he knows that it's something that can be a blockage for you. And here's the, one of the tools that we can come back against that with, and it is this, thankfulness. Thankfulness. How good are you at being a thankful person? How often do you give thanks for what you have. Andrea, Andrea Wigglesworth has said this story to the life group leaders on Thursday night. Andrea Wigglesworth, when she was over with um, some of our leaders, Andrea's a counselor, um, some of the leaders of the Tabar churches, she told this story that really caught me. This story about um, this doctor who was working with patients who were suffering from severe anxiety and severe depression. They were heavily medicated for what was going on. And what he got them to do was this, around this whole area. He got them to start keeping what was known as a gratitude journal. And what he got them to do was, at the end of each day, he would get them to get out this gratitude journal and write down three things that they were thankful for at the end of the day. They're thankful for this, this, and this as they reflected. Almost like what we've just done as we've examined our lives over the last 24 hours. Looked at some of these and just wrote down, I'm thankful for this, this, and this. At the start of the next day, we get them to get out the journal again, and we get them to write down, in anticipation for the day that lay ahead, three things that they were thankful for about the day that was yet to come. Got them to do this at the end of the, that day, writing three things they're thankful for from that day. The start of the next day, in anticipation, three more things they were thankful for, and on and on and on it went. Day after day after day, get them to do it. After eight weeks, every single patient that was on medication was completely medication-free completely free of medication. And here's, here's the biblical reason for it. Here's the biblical understanding of this. And Paul actually tells us this in the book of Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Right? So it's not even just as you prayed, like, God, I need this, this, and this, but it's actually as you pray with thanksgiving, you're practicing the art of thankfulness. Look at the results in this verse that are produced. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. As you pray and as you practice thankfulness, suddenly there's this peace that's released. The peace that the kingdom and our king gives to us is released and it guards our hearts and our mind. Let me just ask you this one question. What are you thankful for about your life? Think of one thing right now you're thankful for. And what I want you to do, because this might be one of the first times you've done this in a long time, I want you to say thank you to God for it, just in yourself. 
I want you to think about some things that you own. So we had this conversation last week. I think I asked, like, what's your most favorite possession? But some things that you own, because this is the understanding, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All that we have comes from him. So some of the things that you own, why don't you take a moment and just thank God for, for some of those things? This is something I feel that, self-included, we need to continue to practice more and more and more. If we want to be a people that steps into the kingdom more and experiences the kingdom more, we need to be a thankful people because it's part of how we experience the peace. Another tool which is significant in guarding against anxiety is just simply this, faith. Faith in this, because this is what Jesus is saying and teaching in this in this passage. We have a God who provides and cares for you. We have a God who provides and cares for you. Listen, if this isn't just about the story that Jesus, or this sermon that Jesus has taught, this is right throughout the God story, right from the beginning of time. We see it even in creation, how he provides for everything and that's its set in place. But even as sin comes into the world and distorts everything, we see it in the God story. We see it in Exodus 16 as he provides the children of Israel with manna, this food that comes from heaven. As they're out in the desert, as Moses strikes the rock, there's water that's flush, uh, gushing out of a rock. Uh, with Elisha and two kings, quails that sustain him. Even in the feeding miracles where there's 5,000 people, 4,000 people as well sitting needing fed. What does Jesus do? This is the thing that caught me today even as I was thinking about it. Someone brings five loaves and two fish. What's the first thing that Jesus does? He gives thanks for it. He practices. He's not, he's not angsty. He's just saying, oh, what do I do with that? He's thankful. Oh, wow. Five loaves and two fish. He's thankful. He gives thanks. There's an opportunity for the kingdom in this moment. But, and here's the thing, because Jesus has faith that he is a father who provides. He's a father who cares. And so into this, even in these things, that these are things that teach us God is a God who provides and cares. 1 Peter 5 says this, cast all your anxieties in him because he cares for you. Jesus talks about the birds and the flowers and says, you're even more important than these. God will provide for you. You're so important to God. God desires, or desires to provide all of your needs. And here's the thing, faith is something that needs nurtured and grown. And the way that I would just simply say for you to do that is this, you need to practice starting to speak out truth over your life. Fears and worries will come in. The enemy will come in with different thoughts. People will say different things that are contrary to what God would say. You need to be a person that speaks out truth. So when it seems impossible, you're a person that says, no, it's possible with God. When you're worried about where your money is going to come from or different things are going to come from, you're believing and giving thanks to God for because he's such a good God. You see this actually in the Psalms. When you read, see the pattern of how David wrote his prayers in the Psalms, it would be like, uh, God, he would give thanks, God, you're so good, and give thanks for the faithfulness of God and how loving a God he is. And then he would be like, but God, there's all this junk that's going on, and like, I'm just not sure what it's about, and blah, 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 blah. But then he would remind himself, but God, you're so good. God, you're so faithful. God, you're so loving. And he just reminds himself of this. He's declaring and speaking out truth into the very being. And this is something that I feel needs cultivated. But, but what about, and I, this is where some people start to debate, even what I've just said, God is a God who provides. Because some people, what they'll ask, and you'll hear, might hear some of your friends ask this, or even if you're a non-believer in the room tonight, 
Or a believer, you might be asking this question, what about the poor? What about the countries in the world where they're just ravaged with severe poverty? Is God really a God who provides and cares for their needs? Do you ever hear, hear people asking questions like that? What we need to realize is Jesus is teaching here primarily. He's teaching primarily to a group of disciples, so people who have a call of God to go and do a certain thing. First thing I want to say is this, because I feel even as I was writing this, there's some people in the room that God has called you to do something, and it's particularly around the area of provision and finances that it's holding you back. God is calling you to do something, and it's around the area of provision. I want to speak prophetically to you. God will provide all your needs. Step out in faith to do it. It's natural, it's natural that you will ask questions. This is where you need to practice faith and speak out truth. If God has spoken, he will provide, right? He will provide for you. Back to the question about the poor, because I don't want to sidestep that one um, and sweep it under the rug and pretend there's nothing happening. What I believe Jesus is saying, Jesus is envisioning the world as it should be rather the world as it is. This, for me, is one of those moments of an on-earth-as-it-is-in-heaven mentality. This is why right through the God story. Now, listen, the Bible is really clear. The poor you will always have, Jesus said this. But the whole God story tells us this was the mindset that God was telling his people, you're responsible for looking after the poor. We actually see this in the book of Acts in the early church in Acts chapter 2, that they shared all the resources so that all the needs of people could be met. This is what it's like when the kingdom works amongst us. This is how it works best. This is why... This is why, and so Phil even touched on this wee bit this morning, sometimes we scratch our heads and try to work out, God, how can you say you cared for the poor and yet there's so many poor people in the world? And yet 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus eyeballed his disciples, eyeballed the church and said, go into all the world and share the kingdom. In many of these places where people are just caught in such poverty as the kingdom principles aren't being lived out, it's into these places that the church is called to go. And yet we sit remote from it, scratching our heads, trying to justify how God could be and isn't. And this is the call, and it's upon us all as the church. This is the thing. This passage is meant to make us feel uncomfortable about our lifestyle. This passage is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. This is where, this is where it, it all hits the fan. And you realize, man, the life of a Christian, it's joyous. But there's a sacrifice to this as well. And this is where Jesus would say, this is where faith needs to come. We give thanks. We have faith. But Jesus finishes finally and just rounds it all up by simply saying this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let me just take two minutes just to summarize this before the guys come. As the people who are listening, the two things that Jesus is telling them to focus on is this. Firstly, the kingdom. The kingdom spoke about the kingdom story, the story that has been from everlasting to everlasting, the story that has been on the go since the beginning of time, the story that Jesus comes as the Messiah and is almost like a fulfillment of things, but the story that continues with us. And the thing is for you, if you're a person that seeks first the kingdom, what it actually means is that you're a person that wakes up and you realize the first thing that you want to do and to realize that your identity and your purpose is that day is to be someone who steps into the kingdom story and is active in the kingdom mission. 
That's what it means to be part of the church. We are not people who just sit idly and come just to sing nice songs and different things to have a nice feeling. We are part of the story. The story is continuing with us. We are on mission with God. The kingdom is alive and it is moving through us. It is now our watch. It is now our responsibility. This is what it means to seek it first. Put it first in all things. When you're thinking of decisions about your life and what to do, the first thing to be asking is, how does this enable me to continue to just step in to what God is doing in this world at this time? Your identity is not about your degree and your job and your future, what it is. The main purpose that God has for us as his church is to go into all the world to make disciples of all the nations. We are on mission it's what it's the kingdom is about. Seek it first. And then the next thing is this, and his righteousness. Righteousness spoke about the will of God to the Jews that were listening. Righteous people are people who do the will of God. And that's why we're going to finish in a little second and ask two questions. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Because that's how you practice righteousness. Hearing what God is saying and stepping into it to do it. This is our focus. This was the focus of Mary and the Mary and Martha story. She didn't give herself to the busyness concerns or the things that Martha was. She was fully in peace. She was fully focused on Jesus. And you almost, almost feel tonight that this is what God wants to do. If you're in a place almost like a Martha, where you're just, it's more about your angst and your busyness, I feel that God wants to change you from a, an anxious Martha to a peaceful Mary. And it can happen. As we let it go and we cast our cares upon Jesus. This isn't pie in the sky stuff. This is the reality of the kingdom amongst us. This is for each and every one of us to be able to step into. And tonight, God wants to do a work in our lives. Because this is the one thing in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire on his temple. The one thing. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, talks about this, saying that if this is going to become part of our lives, there has to be a deep spiritual formation that happens in us. And so he puts it under these three letters, um, Vim, V-I-M, but this is what it is. He says, you've got to have a vision. The vision for your life is this. You're part of the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you're part of the kingdom. This is what your vision needs to be as you wake up. I step into this day, who are the people that I'm going to share Jesus with? Who are the people that I'm going to act kindly to? Who are the people that I'm going to lay hands on and pray for today? Recognizing that we are part of a battle, and so we have an enemy that's fighting back against us, and we're aware of his schemes and his tactics. We have a vision, and even as we do this, we realize that then that vision means we have to have an intentionality to our lives. We are ready to step in, but through this, we recognize that there is a means by which we're going to do that things that we practical, practical decisions that we'll do, and that's what we're about to get to. Final quote is this. Maybe the guys want to come back up. And with this, this is almost to feel like an invitation tonight. As we finish, as we sum it up, the kingdom life, right, the kingdom life, it's, it's a lovely thing to read about. It's a lovely thing to, to see all that it could possibly be. But here's the thing. If you... If you engage, if you want to engage with the kingdom of heaven, it is one of the most radical things you can ever do with your life. Some people think that the Christian life is so boring and it's so dull and it couldn't be any further from the truth. This is one of the most radical things you can ever do. Listen to this quote by Scott McKnight. I love it. These are words for radicals 
about a radical lifestyle of trusting God for the ordinaries of life while devoting oneself unreservedly toward the kingdom mission. Let me say that again. The passage we've just read tonight and last week, stuff that we're asking you to really pray into and to ask God to really intensely step into, these are words for radicals. Do you want to be radical for Jesus? about a radical lifestyle of trusting God for the ordinaries of life while devoting oneself unreservedly towards the kingdom mission. I'm trying to think of a song. DC Talk, there was a band back when I was like growing up back in the 90s, something like that. And uh, they had this song called Jesus Freak. I remember it. And it's just this, this lark, as I was starting to read this, this lark started coming to my head as I'm trying to think it through here. They said this, the most unbelieving thing, so for unbelievers, the most unbelieving thing are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. The most radical thing we can do is we acknowledge Jesus with our lips but we walk out the door and we recognize and we live him out by our lifestyle. We are a generous people. We are a people that want to live simply for God. We are a people that recognize that all that we have is not just for us, it's for the giving away, for the advancement of the kingdom, to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to see it step into people's lives. That is what it means to live radically, and how can you do it more? And so I'm not going to tell you the answer to this because this is what the Holy Spirit speaks to you about. So for one minute, if you have a journal or anything with you, take it out and write an answer to this question. What is the one thing that God is saying to you through this all? I'll even give you permission, and I hate saying this, get your phone out and write in your notes section if you want to. Do not go on Facebook. But write in this, what is the one thing that God is saying to you through this? Let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Challenge me. Challenge us right now. And then remember we said we seek first the kingdom. So that's what we do. God, what are you saying? We want to seek first your kingdom and your will. But we want to seek first his righteousness. We are those who live out the will of God. So ask the second question. What are you going to do about it? Practically step this out. What are the means that you're going to use to outwork this in your life? What does it practically mean for you with your bank balance? What does it practically mean for you about how much you feel you want to give away? What does it mean for you practically when it comes to the people that you see in need in the street, the people that are begging for food? Are you going to be a person that just turns away from it? Are you going to recognize that actually you're part of the church? This is part of your mission. You're going to go up and you're going to ask their name. You're going to get to know them. You're going to befriend them. You might buy them food. Whatever it is, start to ask, Holy Spirit, what are some of the things you're practically stepping out to do with this? What are you going to do about it? Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for your love for us. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us so, so deeply. You gave us Jesus your one and only son. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so, so, so deeply that you gave us your life.
Holy Spirit, thank you that you love us so, so deeply, that your great desire is to give us the kingdom. And it's that that we want to say yes to in our lives. God, will you speak to us, please? God, we're so long for you to speak to us in our lives. God, every single second of every day, lead us, guide us. Thank you that the kingdom is at hand. We want to seek it first, your kingdom and its righteousness. And so, God, we just pray, God, that what you're speaking right now, what you're telling us, God, we don't want this just to be a word that's spoken for a moment. Holy Spirit, start to just generate and outwork this as a natural rhythm and a natural flow of who we are. May we be a giving people, generous people. Jesus, we love you. I would love us this song. You might, the guys are going to sing for us. You might have heard it before, you might not. Um, I love listening to this song at home. It's on my playlist. And uh, so I asked Lee to sing it tonight just for us in worship. It was a song by a guy called Jason Upton. It's called Seek First. And I would love us tonight almost as an act of a declaration just to stand and sing these words. You will get to know the tune as you go through it. But this is just, God, I will seek first your kingdom. I will seek first your kingdom. Tonight, I would just love if you feel that this is a moment of almost commitment to this. This is something we want to hold each other to. And Sunday mornings, we'll be chatting with this over the next while, practically about what it means and different things. But I just feel there's a moment of just standing just to declare something in our lives. Why don't you stand with me? And just as we finish, Lee and the guys are going to lead this just for the next few minutes. And then Robbie will come and close us just as we finish. Sorry, it's going on a little bit longer tonight. But God, this is all for you. Jesus, King Jesus. This is for you, for the sake of the glory of your name. Your will be done here on earth. As it is in heaven, so be here on earth. In our lives, for the sake of the glory of your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.